You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good evening and welcome everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for May the 4th. Monday, May the 4th, 2020. Thank you all for tuning in. On tonight's program, we're going to be looking at a fairly recent interview which Todd White did on the Victory Channel. Now, from what it can work out, the Victory Channel is Kenneth Copeland's arm, and I don't exactly know, and it doesn't matter a huge amount. It seems to be a lot of people... Who I recognize who work around Kenneth Copeland. Um, we we dealt before in the program how Todd White very much sees himself as continuing on, or at least sees Kenneth Copeland as a mentor. And I was going to go over that clip from a month ago. You know that one that's been turned into more remixes than most hit singles from Kenneth Copeland. And uh, yeah. I just kind of, for the sake of time, I just left it alone. I think enough people have seen it. If the man does not qualify as a false prophet by now, I don't know what does. So I would encourage everyone to read what it means to be a prophet and what it means to to be a false prophet, Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18, and it takes how many false prophecies, especially if you're claiming revelation from the Lord, to be wrong, predictive prophecies, to be wrong, in order to be deemed a false prophet. Ah, just one. And often these people will have all these theories about, well, you only you can't be perfect at prophecy overnight and all this kind of stuff. But I digress, we won't get into that here. Starting off our program again, as per usual, we're going to be going through one of the Psalms and again encouraging you all to sing through the Psalms, to... Uh, as you are in either in isolation with your family, whoever else it is, especially if you're alone, and keep those people who are alone in your prayers. It, it, it's particularly difficult for people um, who don't have. Uh, I'm blessed to have my wife and children with me, and there's a sense in which I feel really content because I have my wife and children. But I don't know what it would be like had that not been the case. Of course. The Sabbath is the worst. Uh, the Lord's Day is the worst because you dearly, dearly re really want to go to church. There's no two ways about it. Um, I have not been keeping up with coronavirus material for weeks now. I, I, I read up in it like crazy at the beginning, f trying to find out about how serious this thing was and all that kind of thing. And um, I have... I think I know enough about it now just to realize, yeah, this is serious and this ought to be taken seriously and you know it's not some big hoax or conspiracy theory or anything else like that and um yeah i have i i haven't there was a time i was checking worldometer i think daily for a while and now it's just yeah i'm i'm just right now during the day i would encourage you all just to get something get some project Get some book you want to read through. You know, if you've always 
I'm going through actually a Bible mesh, two Bible mesh courses at the moment, one Greek, one in Hebrew. And it's just to keep me motivated while I'm at home. And that might be a good thing for you to do. Actually, I cannot, I've only done a little bit and I'm, I want to do the full course before I go and give the massive thumbs up to it. But the, the Hebrew one is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And um, it's fantastically taught. So I'm really, really enjoying it. And the, the software on the website, I was very skeptical. I thought, oh man, this is kind of expensive, but I think it's well worth it. Well worth it if you're really, really serious about learning the biblical languages. But I'll come back to that at a later stage. I don't want to kind of completely recommend it unless I finished the course because I really want to um, recommend it based on having used it before. Okay, so Psalm 13, we're going to go through. This is the 13th episode of the, the lockdown. Uh, just probably on Wednesday, there's only going to be a podcast and the way it's going to be, because I I have a certain amount of work I need to get through. I still have exams to do during the summer. At some stage, I'm in college. I have to finish off second year and they've been kind of postponed because of the coronavirus and a couple of other things. So I have to do a certain amount of Bible mesh every day. That's just something I decided to do myself just to keep on top of it. So what will happen on Wednesday, there'll be a podcast, Lord willing, and I'm going to be going through probably the larger catechism, either the larger or the shorter catechism, or the, the Westminster stands. So if you want more, if you can't wait until Friday, which is probably unlikely, but um, go to MegiddoRadio.com or the iTunes. There will be another podcast. Hopefully, it won't be live, but on Wednesday, Lord willing, that will happen. On Friday, there'll be another live show. So I'm going to try that schedule. Hopefully, that'll work because um, that needs to be my main focus for the next few weeks because I don't exactly know when my exams are going to be. It kind of depends on when that lockdown eases a little bit. And then I'm going to email my professors furiously and like try to get it done as quickly as possible um, because it's kind of, you want to get exams out of the way, don't you? Yeah. So anyway, so let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 13. And we're going to read through Psalm 13. And before we do, we're going to pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on us as we meditate upon this psalm. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless us and guide us and may your face shine upon us. Lord, we pray for wisdom. We pray, Lord, that your truth would fill us. And Lord, we pray for those who are discouraged listening to this or perhaps are listening to this after this program will be blessed and encouraged as we read your word and as we meditate upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 13. This is God's holy and infallible word. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him, lest those who tremble, trouble me rejoice when I am moved, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me and may the Lord bless the reading of his word. And just by way of 
Hello and welcome everybody who's joining in the chat room and uh, feel free to ask questions or anything else like that and um, it can be a very pleasant experience, especially if everybody is, um, um, you know, usually it is and there's a lot of nice people come along and prayer requests and all that kind of thing. So now. Psalm 13, this is very much a psalm dealing with that feeling, you could say, of David. It's a a psalm of David. David is surrounded by his enemies, it seems, and he's crying out to the Lord in, in desperation. He said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Now, there's a question for us to ask us. If we're in union with Christ, will the Lord ever forget us? If he is our covenant Lord, if he is our King, our Savior, the answer is no. But there are times, there are times it feels like we're being overwhelmed by our enemies. How long will you hide your face from me? And there can be times as well, the Lord may withdraw tokens of his comforts in order that we would seek him more. Yeah, you know those people, you know, at the beginning, you know, when you're just saved, those who've been saved later in life, some people have been saved earlier in life, but for those who've been saved out of particular sinful lifestyles like I have and other people have, that those first while... It's amazing, wonderful, euphoric. But as time goes on, there may be times where it may wane and you may feel defeated, deflated, discouraged. And those are the times when you're going to want to cry out to the Lord, how long, O Lord? When you may be praying for someone or praying for deliverance out of a situation, whatever the case may be, how long, O Lord? And it may feel, when will this deliverance come from my enemy. And he said, consider and help me, O my Lord, enlighten my eyes, lest my sleep, the sleep of death. And said, lest my enemies say I prevailed against him. It can seem that we are defeated. And this is the wonderful thing about saying the Psalms. This is the wonderful thing about meditating upon the Psalms, and we don't do it enough in the modern church. This is not just poetry. In in the Psalms contains all the things to get through every experience of the Christian life. Yes, the sufferings of Christ, but we're in union with Christ, singing to Christ through his mediatorship. It's a wonderful thing. This is what the Psalms were given to us for. This is the hymn book. This is the hymn book of the early church. This is why they were compiled in the first place. This is why they were sung. They were sung. Here are the words of the living God to be sung. And you probably say, well, I can't sing this prose version in front of me. And you can't. And you actually have to, <laughs> I will acknowledge you'll need to get, I don't have a, a Psalter in front of me, but from Trinitarian Bible Society, you can order the 1650 Scottish Metrical Psalms. I recommend them because it's just the cheapest. They're excellent translation, etc., and so on. You can get it online for free and sing it from your phone. But this is what the early church did. Think about the the early church. 
being taken off, being persecuted, and yet singing in the prisons? What were they singing? The Psalms. And singing in unity with them. And I know people will email me sometimes and say, I, hey, Paul, I'm not quite an uh, exclusive psalmody yet. And I'm just like, give yourself time because you need to study through this and you need to come to a conviction that the Word of God teaches this. But at the very least, the Scripture does tell us to sing the psalms. And David says at the end of this, at the end of this trouble he is in, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. We don't sing enough. Years ago, and I, I, this isn't, I don't want to say this is the reason to sing the Psalms because of an anecdotal story, but I struggled to get into hymns. I remember somebody years ago got me a hymn history. This was like, I don't know, 10 years ago, eight years ago, whenever it was. And it was great. It was very interesting. It was a, it was a brilliant present, to be honest. But I just couldn't get into the, to the hymns. I was like, what's wrong with me? Amazing Grace, kind of, yeah. But then I tell you, once I started singing the Psalms, just the experience of, it doesn't just talk about happy and, of course there's happiness and joy in the Christian life, but there's also deep sorrows. There's times of doubting and weary and discouragement. But how do we get through that? Is in the Psalms, but I will trust, I trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice out of those times when it feels like perhaps the Lord has abandoned us. He hasn't, if we are truly in union with him. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully. He has been merciful to me. Just interesting. Just curious there how. Is it rendered any differently? Actually, interestingly enough, the, the 1599 Geneva translation says this, I will sing to the Lord because he hath dealt lovingly with me. I wonder if, I, I should have checked the Hebrew before I started, but I wonder if that's chesed, his, um, his loyal love, his mercy, his, um, the way he has dealt in a very kind, caring covenant it may feel like that but we're not to go by our feelings if we went by our feelings at times in our christian wall we would despair and i think that's often i'm not saying for every single person but that's often can lead many of us into times of depression and hopelessness as believers in jesus christ regardless of what's going on regardless of the way things may be i mean we might be thinking how long oh lord we're still at the same time, trust in his mercy, his love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Now, um, so, let's just see. There's a question there popped up. I don't know. Good question there. Um, 
there's a question here in the chat. Hopefully it's okay to repeat. I'll repeat part of it. How do you graciously confront somebody who fronts, uh, fronts, who follows Todd White and what he preaches? Now, it's not easy. It's not at all easy. Um, perhaps bring up one thing at a time. And um, I, I, when you're dealing with people, deal with them as people. You don't deal with them. Not everybody is going to swallow everything they read in a book. Do you know, like, I have friends who I have huge respect for, and, for example, they read Tim Keller, and I'm, I don't understand that. I'll be honest, I don't. But I digress, people read Tim Keller. And I'm sure he's, he's got some good things to write time to time, you know? But I'm fairly sure, I'm actually, no, I, I'm not just fairly sure. I know some of them have not embraced his theistic evolution. So that'd be the first thing to say. Just because somebody may read somebody, it doesn't mean that they agree with them on every single point. And they might not really be clued in to every single thing. And I would just say, treat pe deal with people as individuals. If an, a certain error comes up in your conversations and as you talk about the Lord, lovingly, patiently, kindly, lead them to the scriptures, okay? I wouldn't be, like, ready to pounce. Aha, you believe what Todd White believes here. You believe that you don't sin after you're converted. And mm, I mean, they might have a clue. A lot of people who may... I, I've had lots of conversations with people who've... Godly Christians. And they may have watched messages by these people or people like them, Bill Johnson, whoever else, and just still go, yeah, it seemed okay. This is what somebody will say to me. So, oh, it seemed okay. Um, maybe, you know, they'll say maybe lacked a bit of content or whatever. Sometimes people kind of, without quote unquote reasons, they don't want to be overly critical. So they don't say anything. And this is kind of why, this is kind of why ministries like this exist. Hopefully there'll be blessing. Hopefully there'll be a vacation. There's a danger if we fixate on this kind of stuff, but there is a place for it, of course. Anyway, so let's get onto it because we're already about nearly 20 minutes into the program. We're going to, this is from his 6th of April appearance on the Victory Channel. And this is the, this is a kind of a prayer, his declaration thing and we're going to comment on that a little bit um, before we go into his uh, faulty gospel presentation. All right. Well, the great news is, is that you can't break the addiction. You have to give yourself to God because he's the only one that breaks. You cannot break this thing. You can't fight this thing. Some people have been taught, I need to be tough. I need to be strong. No, you need to be humble and say, you can't do this. So the first thing you need to do is completely give yourself to the Lord. And people are like, well, I've already done that. No, no, no. I'm talking about here's full surrender. Jesus, I'm going to make you Lord over my life. I'm going to make you everything in my life. Okay, there's some some things. I don't want to say that everything he said there is wrong. There's degrees of problems there and all this kind of stuff. You you don't make Jesus Lord of your life, um, but the guy's not reformed, so I suppose you wouldn't expect everything to take every box or anything like that. Jesus is Lord. You submit to him. You turn in repentance and faith. And if you're a bit funky 
on what is faith, what is repentance, I would urge you to get a shorter catechism of the Westminster Standards or something like that, or the Heidelberg Catechism or whatever. And you say, well, I'm not, I don't agree with that. Maybe you don't, but read it and think about it. Because if you're new in the law or you're, or you're not been taught well, that's also possible as well, that you need to get what is faith, what is repentance, and all these kind of things. We don't make Jesus Lord of our life. So it's it's dangerous to present it like that and all. Um, it, it sounds a little bit like second blessing, but I don't want to attribute it to him unless he actually says it explicitly out of his lips. Um, but we grow in sanctification. And this is, there's a sense in which it is the work of the Holy Spirit changing us and conforming us to the image of Christ. And there's a process. And if you're struggling with some particular sin, you do call for more and more surrender, more and more giving up on self, but you can't just kind of go, you, you do, can't make it sound like press a button and then you have victory. Sometimes people struggle with particular things for years, or sometimes people will have victory. You will have victory, but if you're a believer, but to the degree you'll have victory. And you may struggle in various areas for quite a long time. And we shouldn't just say, wow, you haven't completely surrendered. That kind of puts everything in man's hands, and that's dangerous. We're not talking about let go and let God. That's not biblical either, but it is. I'm talking about sanctification, our work, but it is, it's primarily, it is the work of God. God changes us. And we are cooperating in that. It's a, it's a very hard thing to explain sometimes. Um, but it is a process. I just want to point that out to people because there are some people who will struggle in this area. Your Bible, your word is going to be where I'm going to live from. And I'm not going to just live from how I feel. I'm going to live from what you say. So in the name of Jesus, I curse those addictions right now. I command that to leave. I command devils to leave in Jesus' name right now. That um, Okay. The apostles were given authority and things like this over demons and whatnot. The problem with the charismatic movement, not all of it. This is not to say every single teacher. There are some people who do preach the gospel within the charismatic movement. There are some people who are not out and out heretics, just re replying to a comment. It's just the overall movement has systemic problems. It doesn't mean there are very godly, godly Christians within the movement. Of course there are. Um, but we're not critiquing every single charismatic. We're critiquing charismatic theology and people who are massively influential within the movement, Copeland, White. And I know people say, well, my church isn't influenced by them. Yeah, you might, your church might not be influenced by them, but you know, this is the mainstream of the charismatic movement. This is the public face of Christianity, unfortunately. Um, so the, the biggest problem if we're going to summarize down what's the problem with a lot of things he's doing here, it, it downplays the sovereignty of God and it exalts the sovereignty of man and that man is the one commanding everything where really we're to petition before the Father in heaven through the Son, crying out to him to heal, to do all these things. And it's in the Lord's hands. Whereas sadly, the charismatic movement takes the scriptures uses a launching pad in order to empower man to 
get deliverance from whatever they'll call a demon or whatever they'll think they'll have, have to have victory over. And, and it could be health, wealth, and prosperity. Again, is that all the charismatic movement? No. However, at the same time, it would be disingenuous to say it's not a massive amount of it. Um, somebody in the chat room brought up uh, Michael Brown. Michael Brown covers and does a kind of a PR operation for some of the worst heretics within the movement. He looks, this is Michael L. Brown, by the way, charismatic Michael Brown, um, the Line of Fire radio program. He did, a, a couple of years ago, it was a year or two ago, he did a book called um, Playing With Holy Fire. And he claimed to have critiqued the movement and a cleaning up operation, kind of book to clean up. I did a critique on that book a couple of years, about two years ago, and no names were mentioned. It was just so vague and it did nothing. It did nothing. It wouldn't get him disinvited to anywhere. Um, he has promoted some of the worst, Bill Johnson, for example. There were... It just seems whenever does a whenever does a something goes wrong in a charismatic movement, Michael Brown will get them on the program and will say, "Well, we've been hearing all this stuff. Let's just talk to the man himself." Oh, he denies that he taught that heresy. Well, that's the end of the story. It's a bit like asking the person who's stolen your television, "Have you stolen my television?" And he says, "Nope." Well, you've heard it straight from the mouth of the guy, the guy himself. He never did it. So um, false prophets don't tell, tend to tell the truth. And what Michael Brown and other people, mainly Michael Brown, does is he gets them on. And because they'll deny it on that, well, there you go. Whereas we need to go with their, the books especially. Okay, hopefully that answers uh, some questions that are there in the chat room. I curse it. I command it to break off of your life. I thank you for freedom. I thank you for the reality of this word becoming alive to you in Jesus' name. I thank you for complete healing and wholeness over every liver, over every bloodstream, over track marks that they would disappear right now in Jesus' name because the fruit, the fruit of repentance is the removal of scars, is the removal of blood diseases, of all those things that sin and... A fruit of repentance. So what if you have, what if you have, you've had a drug past and you've turned from your sin and you've repented and you still have those track marks, you, all those kind of stuff. Does that mean you haven't repented? Now, that's the danger, dangerous pastoral message that's going to come across to somebody who might not know better. Is there healing in the atonement Yes and no. And yes, in this sense, in the world to come, there'll be complete healing. Go through Isaiah 53. But that will be in the world to come, where at the end of time, even death itself will be defeated, that enemy death. But in this side of eternity, we have spiritual healing, complete spiritual healing in Christ Jesus. We're justified before the Father, but we have not yet been glorified. We haven't re received our glorified bodies. You know, the theologians would refer to the, al the already and not yet. Well, that reality in its fullness has not yet come to pass. 
And unfortunately, they've taken a lot of things that will not happen this side of eternity and brought them into time. And there's no promise about that. Actually, we're promised that we will suffer. Some of the greatest saints on earth have suffered the most physically and everything else. To say that it is a fruit of repentance that you are now healthy. That's health, wealth, and happiness. Nonsense. This isn't the gospel. And we've never been promised that, this side of eternity. Yes, healing, and ultimately in the world to come. Absolutely. And we have that to look forward to. Hallelujah. But not here now. That's dangerous. Sickness, that stuff that sin brought into your life, the stain and mark of sin. We commend them to leave right now in Jesus' name. Hepatitis C, I command you get out in Jesus' name. HIV, get out in Jesus' name. Sexually transmitted diseases, I command you bow in the name of Jesus. I command every wart be removed in Jesus' name. You'd wonder what, what's happening because um, none of these things are happening at the end of the program, he I'm not we're not gonna we're not gonna get time to look at it here. He talks about COVID nineteen, coronavirus and all that. That was doesn't seem to be having much of an effect, is it? It it is astonishing that this kind of stuff is actually massively popular in a country with a high mortality rate and you know, somewhere like Africa or a continent like Africa. Completely it's not, but in some ways it's not because of the high degree of pagan religions because unfortunately there are massive um, elements of the charismatic movement which is somewhat of a crossover between that and um, spiritism and other things like that um, just something to bear in mind Acts chapter I think it's Acts chapter 19 when I think at the right place. Yeah, here we go. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. Now God working unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out from them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord over those who had spirits, saying... We exercise you by the by the Lord whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on him and overpowered them and prevailed against them. And you can read that in your own time, but... They were trying to do exactly the same thing, these itinerant Jewish exorcists. They were trying to cast out demons and all this kind of thing. And the only response they got was, Jesus I know. Why? Because Jesus is the authority. And yes, he, he can and did command demons to leave. And they would. They had to obey him. And Paul, as one of the apostles, was also given this authority. But who are you? And I think that's where we are today. 
Who are you? This is why you see no fruit. This is why you see no evidence that any of this stuff ever comes to pass. Father, I thank you for wholeness. I thank you for freedom from depression, from anxiety, and from fear right now in Jesus' precious name. God, thank you for wholeness for the prime minister, for complete healing. I thank you for COVID being completely crushed and annihilated. I thank you for healing and wholeness right now in Jesus' name. I thank you for his blood being clear, being clean from every bit of this. Thank you for every bacteria, every virus in Jesus' name. We bind you by the blood of Jesus and command you be healed. Okay, I think you get the idea. Uh, we're going to skip ahead now to but the 45-minute section where we're going to deal with the his gospel presentation, the title of the program, basically. I want to surrender fully, and they ran up to get you know water baptized. Yeah. They went down in the water, and when they came back up, all the track marks and all the scars wow. disappeared. Crazy. And so God started to speak to me and teach me that sin is to the body, that sin is to the soul the same as sickness is to the body. But when Jesus bore in his body, like he bore in his body, he, he took... Again, r repeating earlier, and the teaching is basically this. If you are sick, it's your fault. Oh, I don't teach that. Well, of course it is. Because you haven't repented. If... if I'll just let's go back over this little section on him. again. You know the stripes he took upon him, the nails, and all the scars wow. disappeared. And so God started to speak to me and teach me that sin is to the body, that sin is to the soul, the same as sickness is to the body. So if you repent and the sickness will go away. And again, this is how this kind of teaching, this devastating teaching comes into play. And it can be all sorts of stuff. And I'm not saying that every single teacher is exactly the same. But it will fall on this. Have they not donated enough money? Have they not had enough faith? Have they not done everything that their guru basically has told them to do? Hmm. When Jesus bore in his body, like he bore in his body, he, he took upon him, you know, the stripes, he took upon him the nails. But as he died for our sin, he also died for the effects of the sin to be removed. Yeah. And so redemption isn't just forgiving, but like which is more humbling, keeping track marks in your arm because you remember where... And when will our body be redeemed? When will our body be redeemed? When will we receive our glorified body at the end of time? At the end of time when our bodies will be resurrected. That's orthodox historic Christian teaching. I mean, which parts? I mean, for example, is not death an enemy? Well, why, why do we die then? Why is Todd White going to die? Why is, why is Kenneth Copeland going to die? If it was really true that there was complete physical healing, And it was just the amount of faith. Well, why, why aren't any of these guys living past 100 or 80 or whatever the case may be? Hmm. Amount of, or God removing them and you looking down and seeing brand new skin. Wow. And so what we're seeing is when people repent, that fruit that came from sin needs to be removed and fresh skin needs to be put there, which is the fruit of repentance. Yeah. And it's amazing. And so what we're seeing is blood transformed. We're seeing sexually transmitted diseases completely healed. I mean, you could have been out there, you could have slept with somebody once and 
caught something the first time got bit, or you could have lived a life of sin and never got bit. So people are like, well, you're a bad person. No, it just depends. You could have got bit by one time, or you could have got never bit, or you could have got bit after 30 years of it. Either way, it's still the same. Sin, sickness, all of it needs to go. And so with people that have brought Mm. some kind of a disease, like hep C brought in from dirty needles, or you've got HIV that came in through through needles, or or any of these diseases. This is kind of uh, Todd White's audience. It, it's kind of people with troubled backgrounds, and it, it can be very appealing. Come on. Look, if somebody's had any addiction in the past, look, I had an, pretty much an addiction to alcohol, and it, it's very attractive. I remember one of the testimonies that were very influential upon me was Brian Head Welch, the guy who was in Corn years ago. I used to listen to metal music, and... You're miserable. You're you're in that cycle of addiction and everything else. And here's a guy coming along who's cool. You know, he's cool, and he's showing you way out. And uh, why wouldn't you? And uh, yeah, I basically seen over the years that the problem with that it can, especially the the Christianity that Brian Ed Welsh espouses isn't. It doesn't look at all like Christianity. It's kind of that Crowder guy who those blasphemous things with the Lord's Supper. Um, I can't remember the guy's first name, but dangerous mix of various things. They, it's like they're taking drugs, but it's like some spiritual high that they get. Um, they're replacing, this is, I'm talking about Brian and Welsh now, I'm not talking about Todd White. I don't know if Todd White engages in this, probably does, but that they're replacing one high for another. And uh, treating it like some kind of a, a drug, the Holy Spirit, treating the Holy Spirit like a drug. And that's often the way the charismatic movement can be. Some high psychedelic experience. Yeah, and I'm not talking about the entire movement. There are, there are some charismatics who witness a lot. There are, I have met people. I met people years ago. I can think of a few people that were continuationists, I suppose was a better term, charismatics, young people, but they were tremendous for witnessing to people, encouraging people. I didn't agree with them on their on their uh, gifts of the spirit theology, but happily sit down with them and chat and have coffee with them. Um, however... We need to be careful to the degree... We need to be smart about how we do this. Um, Like, by the way, I would happily... As long as... I'd go to any church, to be honest, and preach, as long as I didn't have to compromise any of my own convictions in doing so. So, um, you want as much fellowship as possible. But at the same time, you got to be careful sometimes going to... Some like any church, to be honest, do they preach the gospel? Do they believe in the gospel? Or is it a synagogue of Satan? I mean, I wouldn't go to a Roman Catholic church before Mass or anything like that. So that's what I'm saying. Okay, hopefully that makes sense. Um, we want as much unity and fellowship in the Spirit as possible. Does that come? Sickness that comes from a life of sin. God wants to remove that sickness to let you know that God doesn't remember it anymore. And it's so powerful because if he forgave my sin, but he also forgot my sin. What if, what if you have those scars? Again, you have physically 
there are plenty of people who have had rough backgrounds and have physical marks of their past. Does that mean God still remembers their sin? And as a, no, and you would never ever want to to be based on that and your physical appearance or whatever else it may be. Faith in Jesus Christ, He doesn't see that anymore. He sees the perfect obedience of Christ, and you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb spiritually. Yes, you will get a new body, but not yet. So why would I want to keep that as a constant reminder? If God won't judge me for where I've been, where is where I've been still judging me? Mm. Yeah, that's good. If God doesn't judge me for where I've been, why is where I've been still judging me? Yeah. That's got to go. So it's part of it's part of the gospel. And I, like when I got saved, my brain was fried because of all the drugs I did. I couldn't yeah. read. I couldn't focus. My blood was messed up because of all the drugs I did. My skin was messed up because all the drugs. My lungs were shot because of all the weed I smoked and all the drugs I did. I maybe he's a lot more sincere than a Kenneth Copeland. You know, sometimes you see his eyes are all tearful and things like that because. It does sound like his life is a complete mess beforehand. I'll be honest, it doesn't sound like it's much better now because he's a false teacher. However, do you know what? When you're using God as some kind of a genie, there's a there's a gratitude you might have, but it's the gratitude of, look at, hey, look at, look at this building. Look at all the people I'm talking to. Before I was a drug addict. Now, I'm going around, I'm doing... I'm sorry, but nothing better than parlor tricks. That whole leg lengthening thing, that little trick that Todd White does on the street, uh, that is something that hypnotists know how to do fairly routinely. Uh, there was a program years ago called, um, oh, Dan, is it Darren Brown? I did a program on it years ago. Darren Brown, hypnotist, showed how this could be done. Now, I may not agree with the methods by which he went about it, as in Darren Brown is not a Christian, but he demonstrated that it was basically hypnotic suggestion, much of it, much of what the things, and you've got that warm feeling in your back, and you, oh, you're able to walk around. It's a lot of it's hypnotic suggestion, and you came in with a backache, and you're now convinced you're not sore anymore. So now you run around the building. Oh, I'm healed. A couple of days later. Oh, I, I, I really wasn't. Maybe two days later. So, um. There are these triggers and there are ways of deceiving. And this is another thing as well. People ask, is, is Todd White genuine? He's a charlatan. To the degree, I'm, I'm sure he's delighted he's no longer addicted to drugs or whatever else like that. But the man is mentored pretty much by Kenneth Copeland. This is the cool hipster. Is he a hipster? Eh, okay, whatever classifies the hipster dude version of Kenneth Copeland. You see, the Kenneth Copeland version of things, it only works in a certain generation. And this really appeals to people who have drug backgrounds and drink backgrounds and all sorts of drug backgrounds. And that's more and more people because society's broken down. And um, Kenneth Copeland appealed more to the businessmen it was actually back in the 60s there was a there was a group called the the full gospel businessmen's fellowship international and they pooled a lot of money together a lot of businessmen together 
they were actually one of the major pushers of the charismatic movement uh, when it began back in the 60s. I mean, you know, the Pentecostal movement was very divisive. A lot of groups, a lot of denominations within the Pentecostal movement. Charismatic movement kind of brought them all together based on an experience. And sometimes that experience has even, even included Roman Catholics. That sometimes even included, I think it even included atheists and Jews. But it's been a long time since I've done this research. This was research I did back 2011, 2012 at this point. So let's continue. I jacked up everything. I got a hold of bad drugs. I'd I'd smoke crack and I'd smoke bad drugs. I'd smoke. I I I just did the worst of things. And when I got saved, he didn't just save a little bit. He gave me the total body overhaul. So the gospel is so good. It's just sometimes we don't believe that he's that good. Yeah. You know. And sometimes people are like, "Well, that's too good to be true." No, God's so good. He is true. That's right. It's so powerful, man. And so we're yeah. seeing it. We're seeing it more and more and more. We have students that have come university that used to have this. Now they don't have it anymore. We have people that we've just, we've seen it all over the world, man. I remember being with Mike Bickle. I was at the the call. We did this call up there and it was like 21,000 kids and it was New Year's Eve. I remember ministering. We saw 51 kids cutting scars removed in two minutes. Wow. And youth groups were jumping up and down, screaming because this one boy had cuts the whole way up his arms, the whole way down his thighs, on his neck. Like people cut. Any chance of some evidence of that? Uh, you never see any evidence of that. You see a lot of tall tales. You see a lot of tall tales. Um, yeah. Was it? I can't remember years and years ago, wasn't it kind of sailors and different people would travel from place to place and they would just tell tall tales and they were just, you know, you know why? Because they'd get away with it. Nobody'd really know if they were telling the truth or telling a lie because it's like, I'm sure Mike Bickle gets around, that's International House of uh, Prayer, IHOP, and uh, so does Todd White. Maybe they get together and compare notes when they come up with these stories, but there's no way of corroborating this. Where, where, where's the evidence? I'm sure videos before and after. You think this kind of stuff would go viral? No. What, what, what do we have? Hey, let's get, let's get real. What do we have? That is getting hundreds of thousands of views, probably even millions of views, and not even kind of a, a sign of ridicule, sadly, but gold dust coming out of the the roof in Bethel. And they say that's the glory cloud. That's their evidence. That's their video proof. Stuff that you could probably buy at a stationary shop and shove into the ventilation system. Not saying they did that, but, you know. Um, that's the level. You, if, they, if they had any proof, don't you think that there would be proof all over the place? Of course. We, we live in a day of smartphones everywhere, and you're saying that someone didn't have a smartphone ready to go. This is hogwash. because it makes them feel better because yeah. the pain there is better than the pain they're going through. So if that thing is real, if God's forgiveness is real, like I said, and I can't say it any clearer, if God's not going to judge me for where I've been, why has where I've been still judging? Why is where That's I've good. been judging me? That's so good. And the marks in the body needs to go. If you've got cuts, if you've got scars on your arms from cutting, we've seen 
thousands of them removed. If you've got hep C because of dirty needles, we've seen thousands of, I don't know. And look, I, there's lots of young people. I knew of a few, there's probably more, who cut themselves, I'm talking about years and years ago, right? And I'm sure when they look down to see those scars, they would love for them to disappear. And how horrible is it? You see, here's dang, you want those things, those horrible, those reminders to go away? Of course you would. I mean, I've got a, I've got a tattoo of my arm I'd love to get rid of. It reminds me of my past. I'd love to get rid of it. This is not a commentary on tattoos or anything like that, but I'd just love to get rid of it. I can't. And in the early days, if you'd offered me some kind of a thing, maybe I would have, you see, it's lures. And it's utterly tragic. It's preying on vulnerable people. And it's kind of implying, it's implying, well, you know, you still have them. Why do you still have them? Why haven't you got rid of them? Come on, here's what you got to do. Didn't you know? It's disgusting. It's despicable. A theology that teaches that. Our pasts, to varying degrees, will have some consequences that continue on after we're saved. And it depends what we did. Whether it was drugs or alcohol. Or premarital sex, or whatever the case may be. There's consequences. Now, is the Lord merciful, and can the Lord deliver us from serious things? Yes, absolutely. There's stupid things I did prior to my conversion, and I praise the Lord that he's merciful to me. And then up some, I don't know, who knows, maybe in a prison somewhere, or I don't know. The Lord is merciful with me, and the Lord is in complete control of all things. But let's not say that the person who still has scars, real physical scars on our, because before they got converted, it's their fault that they still have them. This is on a pastoral level. And you know what? If you're dealing with somebody who does read Todd White, does, does, does Todd White actually have any books? He might not actually have any books, but listens to Todd White. They might be in a very fragile state, so you've got to be very, very careful and very, very patient with them. And you know what? You say, I don't know what to say to this person. Listen to them. Just listen to them. We can often make big, 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 big errors, all of us, when we speak too quickly and we don't use the ears that God has given us, to listen. And maybe you can point them towards a scriptural answer or something like that, but make sure you listen. What kind of people are going to get attracted to Todd White's ministry? People who have gotten from very, very difficult backgrounds. And we've got to be sympathetic to that. But we want them to come out from this wolf and charlatan. So that for, for their spiritual health, that they may grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't do it to kind of go, aha, I'll show that person, these silly charismatics. 
brother, if you're thinking like that, you need to repent right now. Don't use this information as a weapon. Don't use this information as a weapon. We've got to be very careful what we do with what we know. And we've got to be very careful it doesn't puff us up. Well, you know, I'm not... I have exposed certain errors, so therefore... I am the expert on, you know, polemics, so <laughs> don't get into that, please. And pray for me. Pray for me that I never get into that. Or haven't gotten into that. Or whatever the case may be. The problem is with pride, it blinds. It blinds. How many hundreds of thousands, but I know testimonies. We've, yeah. we've got lots and lots of testimonies of it happening. And it's not because Todd White's a great preacher. It's because the gospel is way more real than we've allowed it to right. be. You know? And I think, Todd, a lot of us have a tendency to still think in works mentality. Sure. And as, as we grow up that way. Because we grow up, well, if you do yep. bad, then yep. there's a price. Yeah. And so we, we don't want to embrace that. Like you reap what you sow. Reap what you sow. What if we reap what he sowed? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that, and what, what if, if we, we believe what Jesus said? Wouldn't that yeah. God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life? Yeah. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal, eternal life starts when you die to yourself. Yeah. Listen, I, I keep hearing there's somebody right now saying, but you don't know what I've done. Yeah. I've done too much. Wow. I've done too bad. Yeah. I got to pay for this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, if you're going to pay for it, then I guess Jesus died for nothing. I, I would just also caution sometimes conservative churches that we wouldn't be open enough. And just, just something that entered in my head, and this isn't even by way of critique of Todd White here, but there's a problem perhaps that we're not welcoming enough, that someone from a rough background, a person perhaps who still looks rough, doesn't, you know perhaps doesn't even have a suit in their press, perhaps is covered in so many tattoos they can't even see out their eyelid. You know what I'm saying? That that person would scare people, that that person would feel welcome. Now, praise the Lord, I know plenty of conservative churches and where I around, around where I live, I believe that people would feel welcome. I hope they would anyway. But is there not a danger that we're so conservative that this would never happen? This would never happen in our circle. Oh, yes. We got to be careful. We don't end up with the, with the attitude that the Jews had in the first century when all these Gentiles started coming into the church. And you better believe it caused a certain amount of friction. We should be open to saying... You see these people, we're going to come in, they're going to, Lord willing, they'll come in and hopefully they'll come in. We're going to be patient with them. We're going to love them. We're going to care for them. Because I think one of the things conservative churches we may lack is perhaps we don't have the welcoming attitude that some charismatic churches have. I remember just even when I first got saved, these people would sometimes listen to you for six hours. and be so fascinated about your testimony. And I just wonder if in our conservative orthodoxy, if we can sometimes become a bit stale, a little bit cold. I'm not saying across the board, of course not. 
But then the person who's just saved radically changed and will not feel comfortable in anywhere else, but perhaps even a charismatic church. And I'm just saying it for us that we don't think, ha ha, you know, no, no, we sh sh surely maybe we sh I'm not saying don't go down the programs. Don't be trying to make the world feel comfortable. There's a certain level of that, but I'm talking about friendly. I'm talking about perhaps this person who's going through massive changes in their life. You know, five days ago, they might've been drunk all the time and now they've found Jesus and they're radically changed and, and they're like, what does this book teach? And we're like, yeah, take your time, buddy. Or, or you're like, you share the same excitement they have and you're like, let's go to the coffee shop right now and let's read through that Bible. Let's pray together. Let's, and they're, in, they got, you know, the, you know, you've met those people. They've got this insatiable attitude. And I just fear that we send them off to the charismatic movement. Yeah, that's just is. not true. You can't say that. You know that the value of a person is determined by the price that was paid for that person. Like in the world, if I'm going to go to buy, if I was going to go buy a car, if I went to the car lot and I was buying a used car and someone, and, and let's just say I wanted to buy a pickup truck and I went there and they had this nice Toyota pickup truck and, and I saw it in 2014 and it's got like 75,000 miles on it. And man, I want that truck. And I went up to the guy and I said, Hey, how much for that truck? And he looked at me and he said, 150 grand. Like, uh, I'm going to laugh because that's, yeah, that's kind of funny. But like, what if he stuck with that and showed me a paper? Look, this is why it's 150 grand. I might be polite and walk away. Yeah. But I'm not going to give him 150,000. Why? Because it's not worth it. If I'm going to go buy a house and let's say I'm, I'm in the market to buy a house, I know that the highest amount that I could possibly do is, is 190,000. And I'm going through a neighborhood and I've got three kids and I'm trying to move there and, and I'm going and looking and I find this nice house and I know the market value of that house is $200,000, maybe get them down to 190 right where I need. And I'm going to go in there and then the guy tells me, well, this is a $1.2 million house. I'm sorry, but like it's yeah. out of here. Right? What? Serious? No, the <laughs> price that you pay for something is because that's what it's valued at. So if the value of something in the world that we would pay any day for, food... Be careful with it now. Hear what he's saying here. ...or a house, anything. If the price determines the value of that, then if that's true, and Jesus Christ paid with his life, and God saw fit to sow his son into the earth, unless a seed dies, it dies, abides alone. But if that seed dies, it springs up. If God so loved the world that he gave his son and that determines my value, I'm no longer that worthless person. I'm actually worth the blood of Jesus. And for This is remarkably dangerous. Remarkably dangerous. Um, just going back to the point I was making earlier, you know, we should make sure that they feel that love you. I'm talking about new converts and things like that. Um, you know, sometimes we may not understand the world outside our church, but we should listen. We should 
See, what should unite us is the is Christ, the Word of God. It shouldn't matter what our background is, whether we're drug background, a farming background, a city background, a business background, a doc, you know, a medicine background, you know, a legal background. None of that should matter if we're united united in Christ and we share that same excitement and that same love for Christ. But just get into his argument there. He's making it. Oh, oh, you see, Christ paid for his bride, therefore, look, they're so, they're worth so much. What did Christ, you see, and this is a fundamental misunderstanding of the, the atonement and what Christ did on the cross. Why did he have to shed his blood? Did he shed his blood because we're so amazing? We're so fantastic. We're, we're so valuable. He, he couldn't do without us. And this is basically where it's going. And again, you get people from a drug background who've never kind of felt that warmth and love probably in their, in their past. And then they get, they get this, oh, you, you know, you've never had a father. Here's a heavenly father. And you get told all this stuff. So it can sound really appeasing and great. But the truth is far better than any of this self-esteem nonsense if you're in jesus christ yes you are loved because of the merits of christ but what he paid wasn't because you're so fantastic and you're worth so much it's because of your sin because your sin was so great your crime was so great it took the death of jesus the only begotten son of god because of that, because your sin was so vile, so wretched, it took the death of God's only begotten Son. Because the infinite worth of that sin, because it was against the one of infinite value, that's why it cost so much. And if we lose that, then it becomes a man centered. Gospel, another gospel, a gospel that is there because we have another God who is completely dependent on man. He paid, not because you're worth so much, he paid because our sin was so wicked and he obeyed the law in our place at the same time while, while upon the earth. We're not just saved by his death, we're also saved by his life. And yes, he loved us. But he loved us. He took pleasure in us because of what Christ did. And any value, any worth we have, it is because we've been created in the image of God. And because we've been created in the image of God, we'll be held accountable to God's standards. And because we'll be held accountable to God's standards, we are lawbreakers. And the wrath of God outside of Jesus Christ is upon us. God's holy, righteous anger. We are not an object of pleasure. We are an object of wrath. Now, does that mean that God has no love for the unbeliever? That's not what I'm saying. But his holy wrath and hatred is upon the unbeliever. Now, God does show love towards the unbeliever. There's rain and sunshine. He provides food. 
the love of benevolence, the love of beneficence, yes. But there's no love for the unbeliever in the sense that God takes no pleasure in them. God is angry with the wicked every day, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 5, I think it was. And also in Psalm 7, words to that effect. The wrath of God abides upon you if you're not in Jesus Christ. Now, did he love those people? Did he love, does he love his elect? Yes. But why can he take pleasure in those people because of Christ? Because when he looks upon Christ, he says this. He said this. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Don't get that all mixed up. Yes, you can, you can take a shopping analogy, and, but if you do that, you can torture the scripture. You can torture the data and confess to anything. You go to the scripture and you can come up with any single doctrine you would like. Oh, you see, why did Christ die for me? Because I'm so fantastic. And if you think that, you have never repented. You don't know the gospel. Yes, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But he did it in mercy. We are filthy wretches. And he rescues us and washes us clean in the blood of the Lamb. But don't kind of go there, you know, I'm so fantastic. And that's the gospel message. The false gospel message of Todd White. say I'm not worth it is to say Jesus's blood isn't worth it. Yeah. That what God paid for me isn't good enough. I That's need right. something else. There is nothing else. So we need to switch the value system and, and see the reality of how valuable I am. It's all valuable how I am, not, not how valuable God is. So the gospel is there to glorify man. What blasphemy? What wrong-headed blasphemy? This isn't something that's a little bit wrong. This is 100, this is completely the opposite. Everything's turned on its head. The gospel is there to glorify God, not to glorify man. It, it humbles man. Now, if we humble ourselves later, we'll be glorified, we'll receive a glorified body. Look at places like Romans 8. But we must humble ourselves. And see what we are and what we were, what we were saved from, that we were, that we serve the prince of the power of the air. That we were slaves of sin. That we were rebels. Not just fantastic people who didn't realize how valuable we were. And when I see that, then my works end because when I see how valuable I am and the price that he paid for me, now all of a sudden I know that I can't earn it, that Jesus paid a much higher price than I could ever earn. See, I'm so fantastic that, well, he paid such a big price because I'm so fantastic. And I need to repent of not seeing how fantastic I am. That's the new age. That's pagan. Ultra pagan. All of a sudden, I step into that place as my identity, that I'm worth the blood of Jesus. You're not worthless. You're worth it. Yeah. It's powerful, man. It is powerful. The church teaches people, a lot of the church teaches people that you're just a worm in the dirt. You're mm -hmm. worthless. That's right. Come you're on. You're not worth it. That's not the gospel. That's yeah. not the gospel. Heaven paid a high price. Heaven went bankrupt to redeem my soul because God saw fit. When I was lost, Christ died for me. When I was yet a sinner. 
it, it, it sound, sounds wonderful. Heaven, you know, it actually doesn't sound wonderful at all. It sounds horrendous. But Heaven went bankrupt. Um, I presume you're talking about Christ in his humiliation, in which he never ceasing to be God. Never, not once, ceasing to be God, took upon himself the form of a servant, left the, the outward manifestations of his glory, of his praise, of his honor in heaven, came down to the sin-cursed earth and came to live, to suffer, and to die on this earth. to be subject to human parents, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know why at the start of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, that the devil looks upon the all the lands and the regions and says, I will give you all this. You know why that was a temptation to Christ? Because it belonged to him. But he must go the way of the cross. He had to, he came to die. It all belongs to him. Every breath that we take must be for him. And that's the way we should live our lives. It's not about, hey, look how amazing I am. Heaven went bankrupt. Could you imagine? We ought to go and sell all and forsake all for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom forsakes all in order to get us. You could not get anything further from the gospel. This is the gospel according to Satan. He died for me. And if he died for me when I was like lost and a sinner, how much more now would he freely give me all things? Yes. Like, Amen. why would I deny scripture? I'm not going to. I'm going to just believe that I'm worth the blood of Jesus. Because when I see my value and I realize that, I step into the first commandment. Love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. See, if I... Okay, so you mean to tell me... I just... I just... I that by accepting how amazing and wonderful you are, you step into the first commandment? And I uh, lost for words. Of God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, I'm loving God with all parts of me. And if I love him like that, then I can love my neighbor. But I can't love my neighbor unless I love myself. And I can't see the value that God placed on my life. I can't love me, which disables me from loving you. Now, okay, there is a sense. Okay, so the commandments, right? The summer, because I know there might be somebody listening into this and said, well, it does say to love your neighbor as ourselves. Okay, so to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God is to be the center of everything. The first commandment, you're not supposed to have any idols before him. Not you or anybody else. We're supposed to worship God, okay? So that's the first four commandments that is um, summarized in the first table. Summarized even further by Jesus in the New Testament, when he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor, second table of the law, as yourself. There is a sense, right, in which we're to hate ourselves. And there's also a sense in which we're to love ourselves. And it's not in this 
to to love ourselves. I mean, this it's like we're not supposed to think, oh, I'm so fantastic. I'm I'm just amazing. I can't believe everybody doesn't see how fantastic I am and just want to bow down before me. And that's kind of the ridiculousness it gets into. It's not a love of complacency, and the love of complacency is kind of a a, a pleasure, a pleasing. We delight in God. We're we're to. And we're also to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, even that includes both our, our lost and saved neighbor. The love of beneficence and the love of benevolence, we wish them well. We wish um, give good gifts towards them, things like that. A very, very simple example. Sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Part of that commandment is preserving the life of your neighbor before your own, by the way. Um, preserve the life of your neighbor, but it also includes preserving your own life as well. And you can say, in a sense, that is a type of self-love, but that is not a self-love in terms of taking pleasure in yourself and you think you're amazing. No, like reading your Bible benefits you. Feeding your body benefits you. So that's the type of love the law is talking about. And it's very clearly you put others before yourself. It's quite amazing. that It's completely the opposite in Todd Wright's economy. You'll, you'll hear old reformed. I remember, I think it was, I was, I was reading Herman Witsius years ago. Um, 17th century Dutch Reformed uh, theologian, and he was talking about there was a sense in which you'd love yourself. And I was like, is this the self-esteem gospel? N no, because there's category differences. If I starve myself, that is a, an unlawful and biblical sinful way of hating myself. But if I deny myself by either saving the life of my neighbor, just say somebody jumps in front of a truck and I jump in front of that neighbor, or, you know, in front of that truck to save them, or or whatever else may be, then that's a lawful way to do it. You're trying to explain it here, but it can be, there can be lawful biblical ways of doing it, but they're the lawful biblical ways we think about anyway. It is not good for our souls not to read the word of God. And it might even give us a bit of balance. We shouldn't be making an idol of ourselves, of our appearance and how we look and everything else like that. But also we shouldn't let our health go so much because we're trying to be so orthodox that we don't care about it at all. Well, we can also simply neglect ourselves. So there's a, there's a balance there in the Christian walk. And again, even going back, just to keep it a very simple conversation here, the sixth commandment, yes, we preserve the life of our neighbor and we put our neighbor's life before our own, but we also are to preserve our own. I say that in order that somebody doesn't, well, it says to love us as we love ourselves. And I know that off man doesn't struggle to love himself, but that's in a love of complacency. He thinks he's amazing. And when you think you're amazing, somebody says anything bad about you, 
I can't believe he said that about me. You get offended. That's that type of self-love that's evil. Prideful. You're so amazing. That's not the type of self-love you should have. You're so amazing. Nobody can tell you. You think, you realize you have so much to learn. You have so much to learn from brothers and sisters in Christ, from the elders in your church, etc. and so on. So I hope that makes sense. Um, Probably should spend a program going into it because... Sadly, um, we are, we've flattened out the distinctions and we don't quite think about a biblical, balanced, humble way of taking care of ourselves so that ultimately it's not about us, but that we take care of others and we place God first and Lord willing, if we're healthy and we can serve for longer, we can worship God again don't mistake this with you're obsessed with yourself. That's sinful and wrong. Or you think you're, you're so amazing. That's sinful, wrong, evil. But also there is a type, if you want to call it self-love, that the Bible does talk about that. We need to think about those things. What does it say? What does it mean? And how do we apply that in our lives? And I think one way we apply that is the preservation of even our own life, of our own health. Right. And if I love what God loves, I'll love you because he loves you the same as he loves me. Yeah. I just am fascinated with the simplicity yeah. of this thing. It is simple. Uh, it is. We simple. make it so hard. It is. There's no way by works to get to God. And it, it's so powerful because there's no way for me to get to him. He got to me. Yeah. When I was as lost as could be, he said, I want that. Like I get this picture of me. And this is the gospel according to Todd White. I am so fantastic. I couldn't get to him, but he just did everything to get to me. And if you are going, if the gospel now is, you know, you're so fantastic, it's like, oh, I know, yeah, oh, you, you see that too? What's there to repent of? Yeah, there's value, of course, to human life, but that's not the gospel. What did he pay? He paid the price for sin. And he perfectly obeyed the law in the place of his people. In the midst of my addiction, in the midst of twistiness, I mean, hooked on porn from eight, hooked on drugs from 11. I'm hurting people. People are dead because of me. I mean, that's what happens in drugs and that life. That's what happens, man. All that stuff, God saw it all. And he went, man, I want that one. Jesus, Father, this one right here. <laughs> and I, it's personal to me. And I'm, I'm so excited that he chose me. I didn't choose him. Right. Like he first loved me. I, I didn't first love him. Yeah. I hated Christians. I hated Christians. I hated the gospel, all these fake whatever. I hated it. I hated it. Yeah. I hated when I saw Brother Copeland on the TV when I was a kid. I'm like, I hate these people. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing within us from a moral standpoint that is lovable. We have broken God's law. That's what makes what Christ did for his people even more astonishing. What about those people? I mean, just follow on, just follow on the logic just a little bit here. There's people obviously going to go to hell who don't trust in Christ. Well, how about those people who don't trust in Christ? Are they worthless? Are they worth nothing? 
that's not quite clear. Whereas the thing about it is, all of us are sinful wretches, and God shows mercy, mercy upon some, not because of anything within us. I'm not better than my last neighbor. I'm not in, in, internally any better than my last neighbor, except the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to my account. He showed mercy to me. If it had anything to do with merit, none of us would have any hope. But if it had anything to do with us, none of us would come to Christ and we would all perish in eternal hell under the wrath of Almighty God. And you see, if you don't have a right understanding of the justice of God, then you won't understand the justice of hell. And if you don't understand the justice of hell, you're going to end up with all these strange theories because I think sometimes we can think of hell like this, that you're not quite good enough to get to heaven. But here, ghosts, this is the only other place we can put you, is hell. And that's why we come up with all these theories about, oh, maybe it's not flames, maybe it's this. Hell is the wrath of God. It is his holy hatred. It is his loathing, not just upon sin, but also upon the sinner. That's why hell is there. It is his perfect justice for all eternity because of the heinousness of the sin and because of the value against the one we have sinned. And because of that, it took Jesus Christ to pay that sin debt. No one else could pay it. Because of the value of his death, because of the value, the infinite value of his life, that only, only Christ and Christ alone could do it. He was, was and is the God-man who mediated between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Amazing. I was as lost as could be. And then God, it's amazing that he doesn't treat us like, like we thought about him. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that he doesn't give us what we deserve. Yeah. People are like, well, well, if God loved me, then why? Well, if God didn't love you, then you'd be dead. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Crazy. God loves you. Like, so why, how do I know God loves me? Because God so loved the world that Jesus came. People yeah. are like, well, I mean, that's, there's, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. No, it's faith. Yeah, faith is. It's also dangerous to go around telling everybody, "God loves you." God loves you. God loves you. We'll just talk a little bit about this for a second. He does this in his quote unquote gospel presentation, and he said he just one of the first things he says to people, "God loves you." That is dangerous and misleading. And again, probably to quote someone like Paul Washer, uh, "Oh, really? I love me too." So, and you'll notice none of the prophets, none of the apostles ever began a gospel presentation with. God loves you. Now, is there an element of truth in there? Yeah, there's an element of truth. God loves the unconverted in the sense of rain, sunshine, beneficence, benevolence. He sh the fact that they're still breathing. There's an element of truth in what he said there. Um, God is continuing to show mercy. There is zero love or zero benevolence in hell. All the grace has been removed in hell. But what the sinner in this world who's still breathing has none of, and that is the love of complacency, the love where God takes delight in them. He doesn't. In, 
there's no, no love in that sense. There is God's displeasure. He's holy displeasure. That's why, go to our psalm, um, in Psalm 5, it can say this. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. And in Psalm number 7, it says this in verse 9, O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. Trying to remember. Oh yeah, sorry, verse 11, sorry. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. So his righteous anger is against them. So to tell, to go around telling everybody God loves you, they think, oh, that means God's favor is upon me. That's why it's misleading, and it's a lie. If we mean by that that God takes pleasure in that person, no. If you're not in Christ Jesus, that type of love, there is no love for you. It's important we get our, our, our distinctions right. This can often cause a lot of struggle for some people within the Reform camp when it comes to... Issues like hyper-Calvinism, you know, hyper-Calvinists will just kind of go, nope, only love for the elect, those are in Christ Jesus, and that's it, everybody else, no type of love whatsoever, that's not true either. Um, there is a type of love being shown towards those outside of Jesus Christ, but it is not the love of complacency. And I think unless we get those distinctions right, we're going to struggle in those areas. And I think a really good book, if you really want to st study this out more, um, people like Francis Turton wrote about this in the 17th century, which is something really, really simple to read is a book by, I keep recommending this over and over, but it's, a, it's a, one of those books that really changed how I looked at God's love, maybe solidified and crystallized it, was R.C. Sproul's book on God's love. It may be under a different title in the United States. It's published under two different names, God's Love or God's Love for His People, something like that. The copy I have is called God's Love. I actually have it right in front of me here. If you are watching live on Megiddo TV, that's it right there. I'd highly recommend it. It really does clear up a lot of these things. I want to read more books on the love of God. And you need to, actually. I got one or two more, I think, lying around there somewhere. Um, but it's something we should focus more on. Uh, R.C. Sproul, God's Love, How the Infinite God Cares for His Children. Substance of things, so forth. I'm a simple guy, man. Yeah. I love Jesus with everything in me. You ain't talking this out of me. You ain't bleeding it out of me. Yeah. You ain't going to take it's it away simple. from me no matter what. I've lived without fear, without guilt, without shame, without condemnation, without regret for almost 16 years, man. Yeah. I'm Praise free. God. Now, if God's done that in me, he can do that in you. Yes. Amen. All right, Todd, I want you to, I, I really feel strongly about this. There's a lot of our folks watching. Yeah. They go, I'm not, I need my, my kid or my grandkid yeah. or my niece, nephew, that's, yeah. they need to come know you. So just, would you pray for them? I will. And, and okay, I'm going to skip ahead here. And th th this is the last section I want to look at and just comment on, there's other parts you could do as well. The next part I'm going to skip to is 
one hour and 19 minutes into this program. And he starts talking about the sovereignty of God. And it's another problem with his theology. I have asthma because God's trying to teach me something. That's bad teaching. You've been taught wrong. There are people that... that okay, I'm going to skip back there again so we can get more to context. To have joy in a trial is that you would have the peace of God on your life. So, Father, I thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And I also feel like there are people out there that have blamed God for the virus, that God is doing this. God has nothing to do with stealing, killing, and destroying. That is not our Father. That is not our Father. And there are people that, that have thought that through life. They've thought that the reason why I have asthma is because God's trying to teach me something. That's bad teaching. You've been taught wrong. There are people that, that say, well, God gave me this sickness and, and I, I like want to tell people, then don't go to the doctor because you're going to mess up what God's doing. That doesn't even make sense. If I was on a plane... Now, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, is God in control of everything? Let's just keep it quite simple for a second. Is God in control of everything? The sicknesses and everything. If he is not, well, then all the bad stuff, he's not in control of anything. And then we can't say with Paul and Romans, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Because it's purposeless. It's just there because what? God wasn't in control of that part. So if God's not in control of that sickness, or well, why pray to him? So God is in control of all things. If God is not in control of all things, if he hasn't decreed whatsoever comes to pass, then he's not God, and he's not the God of the scriptures. He's an idol. He's a, he's a figment of your imagination, and he is... He depends upon men. The God of Todd White depends upon men. Now, we can... Scripturally, we need to think about in two different categories. Did the creative will of God or the secret will of God, which God is in control of everything, everything that happens. And the prescriptive will of God, the decretive will of God, God decrees whatsoever comes to pass, there's different passages that talks about God's will in that sense, in the scriptures, places like, you know, Genesis 50, um, Joseph being sent by his brothers into Egypt, it was an act of evil by his brothers, it was good by God because it preserved people alive. So um, so that's the secret will of God. They didn't know that's what was happening and things like that, but God was using their, the wicked intentions. And then there's the prescriptive will of God, the revealed will of God, the Ten Commandments. So we say something's contrary to the will of God, but obviously things happen that are, sin happens, things like that, things that are evil. But is anything outside of the control of God? Is like even the fall of man, was that something that God didn't know about and he had no control over? If that is the case, that's not the God of Scripture. If that is the case, he's in control of nothing. If that is the case, how are, how are we to worship such a God? So he says that's, that is a false teaching he says tragically he says that is a false teaching and i think many 
possibly might agree with him inside and outside of the charismatic movement. Now, we don't know exactly. If you get sick and you're going through whatever, it'd be very dangerous to go, this happened because of X, Y, and Z. But at the same time, yes, there's a purpose through your pain. It may be to draw you closer to the Lord, maybe to different things. Paul suffered. He had a thorn in the flesh. God is in control of everything. And if we don't trust in that, especially in these days of COVID-19 and all that, we're going to fear. And if we think that, I mean, the God that's presented by Todd White is really this, that Todd White is nearly in, in more in control or almost as in control as Todd White is over the illnesses and the sicknesses and all those kinds of stuff. That's the way he's presented it, which is tragic, sinful, and wrong. And I had a child that had asthma and they needed a broncholator and, and, and they were having an asthma attack in front of people. They're looking at me to where's the broncholator. I have it in my hand. If I said, nope, sorry, God's trying to teach you something. Those people would have me cited for child abuse. And yet we... That is absolutely stupid. Um, okay. There's a difference between God's decreative will, again, taking Joseph and his brothers. God meant it for good. Joseph's brothers meant it for evil when they were sent in, when Joseph was sent by his older brothers into Egypt. Now, how was it good? by God because it was to preserve life God had his good holy purposes but the brothers of Joseph didn't have good intentions and they sinned this is a look you and this isn't unique I, you read this in other NAR writers as well teach and train people that that's who our father is. God is not a child abuser. He is an amazing father. So be very careful of what you blame the father for. God is good and he's good all the time. Um, I'm going to stop it there because it's kind of nonsense. But here's the thing, right? By saying that God's in control of everything, I'm not blaming God for that, nor, nor should we. That would be blasphemous and wrong. Why is there suffering death in the world? Is it because... Of God? No. It's because of man's sin. And man was warned. Adam and Eve were warned in the Garden of Eden. If they sinned, what would happen? Suffering, death, and misery. And we see this. Okay, better wrap it up there. If you've got any questions, we get a films at gmail.com. We'll return next Friday. But Lord willing, we'll have a program up on getaradio.com for Wednesday. Keep checking anyway. Hopefully, 9.30 on, on the Friday, the live program. Fire away with requests. If you've got clips like this, charismatic movement, or things related to Reformed theology, we'd love to hear from you. This has been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.